Welcome to your Living Life Legacy Matters Broadcasting Network, powered by the Faith-Based Calls Initiative and its affiliates. Uh, I'm Carvel Jones, the Executive Director to the Chair, uh, Dr. Pastor William Reveille and Gregory P. Garland. I have the pleasure to serve at the pleasure of the board of the Faith-Based Calls Initiative, but more important, I have the opportunity today to introduce you to someone who I spent last night just reading about. Uh, I have not known him uh, personally, but I know who he is based on the fruits that he has bared uh, and produced all his life. This particular person graduated from high school, I think, when I graduated from junior high. And so <laughs> I have never been in the presence of someone that has done that because obviously if he graduated that early, he probably should have quit because he probably <laughs> knew more than most of the teachers knew. Uh, at least that has been the case as we witnessed the dot-com, if you would, explosion that happened 20 years ago. Uh, while they say people went to college that are multi-gazillionaires now, they did not. Their particular knowledge of technology had s surpassed what anyone could teach them. So as a result, they just left. And so this particular person, um, you can measures character uh, a lot by just his tenacity, agacity, and his just resilience to just work with us, uh, being obviously highly intelligent, but to continue to roll through life. And he's a very strong family-oriented person uh, in his particular bio, which we're going to have his permission to publish so you can see who this person really is. A lot of times we have people that are walking in our presence that really aren't... Um, showcased and they're not showcased because they're just not showcasey people and so we convinced them to understand that accordance to a statement that was made by our esteemed um, Vice President Kamala Harris in some cultures you know it's important to just relax and and know if you're a teacher you should reach out to perhaps help us as a coach as an advisor because teaching could mean something other than coaching and advising. And if you can understand what Vice President Kamala Harris said, in some cultures, a person who lives in that particular community has to see it to be it. So it doesn't matter how much education you give them, how much time you spend with them. If they can't see it, they can't be it. And I can't think of a life uh, that's been well-lived and we want it to be lived twice as long times as long even than our esteemed brother Walter Esau. Thank you so much oh, for being with us. Me. I appreciate it. We're ready for your conversation. Just share with us anything about what you're doing, my brother. But first of all, did, did you actually uh, get through high school at the age of 15 without cheating? Sure. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, about but that. It's, a, was, it's just an kidding. interesting story behind that, though. Okay. Uh, actually, uh, at uh, I was 14, and a recruiter came out to the school for um, Mercy College of Detroit, and uh, I was supposed to graduate that January, which uh, and my birthday was in March. Okay. I was supposed to graduate that January, and because the semester started in September, I actually started school in on the fourth. I was fourteen in, in September. Okay. I became I, I graduated. I was a sixteen when I actually went through my graduation, which I came back from midterms to have my graduation at Demi High School. Okay. So that's where kind of. Kind of going through, but I, I skipped over a couple of classes, uh, a couple of grades, couple of years, couple of grades. Um, they, they used to have the strengthening program, and back in the day, 
uh, you're a young man, so you wouldn't know anything about that. But uh, if you went to summer school and they found that you were you exceeded that next grade level, they would put you a grade ahead. And back then it was it was like you know six A, six B, so you would skip, skip over that and go to seventh seventh grade. And so I had two of those years uh, that I that was kind of the reason I got out so early. What are you doing now? Can you share a little bit about that? Because every time I see Detroit Public School, mm -hmm. I just want to uh, give everybody a crown on their head or a big medal of uh, educational honor and resilience uh, uh, because a lot of individuals don't know that Detroit Public School is one of the larger school districts in the United States by virtue of per capita. Mm -hmm. And we know we took that big dip. We were close to uh, a million uh, 500,000, you know, and then we dropped down underneath that. So it's been a yo-yo effect. Also, there had been a, a mass exodus from the public school systems to private schools as well. In your tenure with the Detroit Public Schools, can you kind of share with us a little bit about what took you over there? Well, I uh, I was working for SMART at the time, and uh, an application, um, a job um, came about I saw, I saw a job posting that said that Detroit Public Schools was looking for a finance person for, um, for the uh, budget de department. And I was kind of, I've been at SMART for 12 years. I just got through working on the People Mover Project with MDOT. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what, more money. I want to change the scenery. And so I applied for it and got the job back in 92. Uh, um, so in my tenure with uh, Detroit, uh, Detroit Public Schools, I uh, started out as a uh, budget uh, analyst. And I did that for like about a year. And then uh, moved up to um, a uh, supervisor position. Mm -hmm. And from there, I became the director of the budget office and then the executive director of the budget office. But within that tenure, as you mentioned before, we did have one of the largest populations. As a matter of fact, our budget was, was higher than the city of Detroit. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I would go to these uh, different conferences and everything, like, uh, and uh, they would always be looking at Detroit. Everybody looked at Detroit for guidance because we were the largest. We had we were doing things that a lot of school districts, most school districts, were not even doing. Um, but as charters came about, um, and they started having school closures, and I, to me, the charters is what really caused us to really lose a lot of our population. It wasn't necessarily private schools, but the charter schools. And um, once we started closing the schools, um, the district, something that I had uh, some issues with, with with closing the schools, they uh, closed a lot of the schools in different neighborhoods where the only schools that were open at that time after the closure of our Detroit public schools were the charter schools, which, we, which was one of our buildings that we sold to a charter school. Mm -hmm. So... Um, then, of course, that left the only place for those kids to go in that neighborhood would be to that charter school because there were no longer schools within the neighborhoods that were open for DPS. So that's where we lost a lot of our, our population. And then the continue, we had the uh, financial manager came in. Uh, there were a lot of changes that went on with that. And so as people got kind of sick and tired of going to the board meetings, hearing all the arguing and all that. They did move out to a lot of the private schools and the charter schools, and that's where we pretty much are today. We're rebuilding Detroit public schools as we, as we, get, as we go today, though. I think it's really rebuilding, and we're, we're gaining our population back. That's great. You know, 
Brother Esau, um, it's always challenging to have the conversation mm -hmm. that the measurement of the education level um, of a community, uh, as my brother Odell Jones would always tell us, mm -hmm. uh, that is the measurement, the education of the community's people of their intellectual property. That's their mm -hmm. value of that community. Mm -hmm. So when you have a school and you close a Detroit public school within the community, you're closing more than just the, the school. Now, I, I don't understand that, um, uh, Brother Walter, at your level. Mm -hmm. But at the high level, when I saw it happening, being a person that kind of skipped a lot of school because I was trying mm -hmm. to be a professional tennis player. Mm -hmm. Now, I still graduated, guys. Mm -hmm. But I was spending a lot of time traveling on planes, thankful to my sponsors here, um, and uh, playing tennis. But I saw the schools closing. And I'm like, well, in that area, because these areas were areas that were underserved, mm -hmm. I mean, I was fortunate. I grew up in that area, that, you know, Bagley, Hampton, Mumford area, you know. I mean, but you get over there where Central is at, you know, where in southeast uh, Detroit, you know. I mean, though that particular uh, school was more than just a school for the community. Yeah. Would that be a correct assessment? Definitely, it was a correct assessment. Uh, the schools were, and uh, in, in talking about black history, the schools were, uh, during this time was pretty much like the church. They were centers for development for students, parents. I mean, we had uh, the adult ed education programs going on. So, and as you mentioned, uh, the education of the community. So we were doing all those things in these communities. So people had somewhere, they had access to places that they could go to within walking distance. And as they closed these schools, then those opportunities for those people left with that, with those closures. Mm -hmm. And again, when you close in schools, you, you, <coughs> what, you, what a lot of people didn't understand, when you close a school, you're laying off people. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're removing tax dollars from the city of Detroit. <clears throat> and what I mean by that, if, if you had uh, um, 50 people working at a school, let's just, just go with that number, okay. and all 50 of those got laid off and they could only pick up 25 somewhere else. But those tax dollars, those, those, that, that revenue for city taxes, uh, people lost their homes, so you, you lost property taxes. And I remember going and having a meeting with the city council back then. I was like letting them know that you guys need to really step up and, and help the school district and, and talk up for it and keeping these schools open. And at the time, a lot of them, you know, I guess, whether it was political or they just didn't understand exactly what was going on. They didn't Probably really both. 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 Some yeah, of the both. Yeah. And so they didn't really step up. And I told them at that time, I said, you know what? They're closing us now, and they're taking over the school district now. But you guys will be next. Mm -hmm. And as a pro not a prophet, but prophetically speaking, that's what happened. Next and I would know, assume that you know? it's a lot, it's almost, it's very difficult, how about mm -hmm. that, to reopen the school. Oh, oh, yes. Once you lose them. I mean, they get trashed. Um, people go in, they steal everything, they, 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 they tear them up. Uh, and, and again, Detroit Public Schools is going through, we've gotten that bond uh, issue that was supposed to do a lot of uh, uh, construction and fixing up the schools. Well, as you've mentioned, as we were talking earlier, a lot of those bond dollars had not gotten utilized by that time. So a lot of those things hadn't happened. So we had dollars to go in and fix those schools up. Well, in some cases, those dollars were left on the table because we, we sold or closed the school. 
that could have been utilized. Let's say that the that the <coughs> population of the school might have been underutilized. It may only be, the school could hold 300 kids, but maybe we only had 150. But we had the, the, if we had used that utilized those resources effectively, then we could have we could have used that for different uh, avenues for the for the community to use. We could open up centers for community centers. We could open up after school programs to cover some of those uh, to utilize those buildings more, and. To be honest with you, uh, education was not what was the, that was not at the front of the line by during those time. Uh, I remember going to an MSBO conference and uh, the superintendent of schools at the time said, you know, we, it's too much money in Detroit and we can't control it. When I heard that, it's like, okay, it's too much money in Detroit and we can't control it. And again, we had, I don't know if you guys used to remember reading in the paper, we had all these millions of dollars in grant monies, Title I monies that were not being spent or whatever like that. And so it became a financial thing for uh, the takeover and the, uh, the financial managers. When I hear it, they had nothing to do with education. It was all about the dollars. You had to bond money, $1.6 billion. Yes. I remember Robert Bob telling us in a meeting, the best way to get money is to build something. You build something, you can make a lot of money off of it. Yes, well. And so that's where uh, the education got lost. And so with the education getting lost, so did the students, the faculty, and everything else. Everybody just looking to get a job, and nobody was educating student. student. And the students, people know when you don't care about them. And the students, even more so, they know about it. So if you're just going in and you worry about keeping your job, as opposed to making sure that the kids are getting educated, then they get frustrated because they feel like we're not learning anything, you don't care about it, and then everything just kind of like deteriorates. Well, you know, there you go, uh, listening audience. Uh, we're looking forward to our next opportunity to fellowship with <clears throat> Brother Esau because of the fact that the harsh reality, but a reality that I'm sure he could allow us to, to uh, really digest um, without sugarcoating it, is that the numbers are the numbers. Mm -hmm. The numbers are the numbers. And the quicker we can grasp that, the quicker we can adjust our behavior as the uh, esteemed brother uh, <coughs> Walters explained to us, if you have a bunch of money, should it be intuitive that the best way to spend the money is to build something? Sure it is. And so the question is, is that do you think the numbers are going to change? Are, are they going to go away? If you don't spend the allocated funding, you lose it because there's just a law that you cannot earn interest on money that's been given you, you know. I mean, you can't leave it around sitting or in, in some bank account for a rainy day. You have to spend it on a schedule. Is that correct? That's correct. And with grant dollars, uh, there are certain stipulations as to what you can actually use those dollars for. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> it's not like, well, we ran out of money to buy pencils and paper and the big thing, toilet paper at that one time. Well, you couldn't use grant money because grant money was designated exactly for a certain thing, for after school programs, for uh, kindergarten, for preschool, stuff like things of that nature. So you couldn't go in and pull those dollars and offset it with uh, the general fund money. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I kind of want to go back and talk about, since we're talking about education, um, it made me uh, think about my mom who passed back in, uh, back in November. Uh, but my mom had 12 kids, and every one of us, and we, we're from Arkansas, very poor when we came here, uh, but every one of us have a degree. 
Amazing. And how that happened, I don't know because I found, I'm going to share a little something in personal, but when she passed, we were going through some of her uh, books, and I found a W-2, and the most money she ever made was $8,000 in a year. That's a story I really appreciate you sharing with us, and we'll look forward to hearing more from you on our next time, The Fellowship. Uh, We hope that you'll go on a speaking surrogate in the different smaller parts of the city and begin to educate the parents and the block clubs. Hopefully we'll get Mm -hmm. some more of those in the communities on the importance of budgetary literacy in the school system so thank you so much on behalf of the faith-based cause initiative again my name is carville jones executive to the chair dr pastor william revely and our esteemed ceo mr gregory p garland thank you for being with us thank you.